Welcome to the Weekly Notebook Review. I am Robert McGrorty. This podcast takes on a bit of a different format where we are live each week on Twitter Spaces. I crack open my notebook and review Hedgeye research with anyone who wants to learn a better way to invest. We feature both Hedgeye power users as well as some special guests that might pop in. If you want to learn more about our research, visit Hedgeye.com. If you'd like to participate in the live stream, follow me on Twitter at HedgeyeRJM. Now, let's review the data. Good evening, good evening. <clears throat> it is June 27th. This is the l- late show, uh, weekly notebook review. We'll let some folks kind of come in and get things rocking and rolling. <clears throat> if you're jumping in, you want to come up and be a speaker, by all means. Um, you know, this the weekly notebook review, as many of you know, or is uh, was really for Hedge Nation, founded by Hedge Nation for Hedge Nation. It's to uh, review the signals on the page, the notebook from our weekend work. This week, uh, I had to bring it forward a little bit, uh, so we're we're doing it on a Tuesday night rather than a Wednesday. But um, still, lots to discuss. We got Powell in the morning, and uh, and a lot of other components to kind of review. So um, why don't we just dive right in? I guess. All right, so June 27th, uh, it's about 8.30 here on the East Coast. Again, this is uh, the late show. Uh, we had some requests recently, one in particular from Pokey, uh, the juice box, uh, saying that the 4.30 sessions uh, were a little, a little tricky. Um, so, again, given the given the people what uh, what they're asking for, uh, we're going to be off next week. Um, I'm taking a little bit of holiday. I'm going to go play some golf out in uh wisconsin uh with some with some good friends celebrate my my best mate's uh, 40th birthday so it should be a lot of fun next week but uh regardless um, that is not what we're here for we're here to review uh the notebook review the signals uh that we kind of you know um dove into over the weekend so typically on on the weekly notebook review we we uh review kind of things that we were thinking about coming into the week and then how uh how those have have changed or uh, they're improved, weakened, um, kind of gone flat uh, midweek, and then going in how are we going to get ourselves set up for the rest of this week, next week, next quarter, uh, next month, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, quarter is finally uh, almost coming to a close here. So we've got a few more days left. Uh, at the end of this week, we'll close out Q2. Then we'll be off uh, on to Q3 of 23 in the back half of the year. So, uh, again, lots to, lots to, rev- lots to review here. Um, we will – uh, dive right into it. I think uh, t- some of the, the three components that really are jumping out on my screen uh, as of this evening, after doing some uh, the post the weekend work on Sunday and the follow through here uh, this week would be uh, the recent shift in, in Bitcoin, uh, gold, the dollar, and and really the VIX. So I know we've talked about those. Those uh, four components a lot as of late. Last week, we certainly you know, we reviewed uh, a bit of the fixed income side of the house, uh, which, again, I do actually uh, – that setup's looking um, better and better, although we did get a lot of higher highs and, and higher lows on, on the 10-year um, this morning. So that's down at uh, you know 3 spot 6.3, the low end of that risk range, to 3 spot 8.6. Uh, so we've got about 10, 10 basis points to the upside still. Uh, today it looks like we're kind of opening up the evening session kind of flat on the on those bonds but um, but yeah but that that setup again the the heel curve is I feel like there was a point in time a few months ago that it was just felt like I was repeating myself each and every week just uh, reiterating the reset the the recession risk rising uh, but that's really you know 
so that's what you're seeing with the yield curve again uh, when you're at you know minus 0.994 at the moment. So call it to round up to minus 100 basis points, and that that yield curve is is signaling a recession risk uh, is on the horizon. So the longer end of the curve is what is pricing that in. Um, the interesting thing here though is is you've got the 30 year in a bearish trend, the 10 year in neutral, and the two year in bullish. So that two that, that two year note. Uh, still has room to the upside um, and to, to maintain that trend. Uh, the 30-year being being bearish and in the, in the, in the neutral and the 10-year are, are quite quite interesting. But as I just mentioned, both the 30-year and 10-year um, have, have did put in higher highs and higher lows as of this morning. So again, you know, could we see signal shift on that 30-year? Uh, you know, the the main takeaway for me is just stick here for longer. Um, so until we kind of see that 10-year uh, trend uh, pivot. To a bearish trend on that on the yield, um, you know I think the the power for longer is the play. Uh, TLT or certainly BNDD is how we're expressing that. Uh, we added some other um, bond exposure uh, most recently, last couple of days, on the in the re-ring product from from Keith. But I think BNDD is probably um, one of the you know our way of expressing that. You know sometimes if you need more liquidity, sort of TLT or EDV. Uh, could be a good way of doing that as well, uh, but that is at you know one of the the second smallest um, position sizing in the uh, micro family office portfolio. So uh, keep that in mind as well, right? So it's not a huge position for for Keith, um, and I think you know the where you're seeing more opportunity and more um, uh, is yeah just just a better uh, you know better signal I guess is the word I'm looking for would be in uh u.s equities and in japanese equities really uh so we we added things like um healthcare equipment uh yesterday i believe it was and uh we added ita back to the portfolio uh most recently as well so u.s defense aerospace and defense um so again and then you know obviously reiterating our long calls on japan so we uh we've got four different exposures there on the japanese side and that just is, uh, you know, it was a great buying opportunity uh, yesterday where we had, um, uh, and today really, uh, but, um, you know, SCJ is kind of just sitting right there. That's the small caps, EWJ as well. Uh, but you did see a bit of a, a lower low in the Nikkei as of this morning. Um, so that's just something to be mindful of. It uh, doesn't, doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't necessarily mean anything because we did see a higher high. So really all that's really kind of telling you is that volatility has come back into that signal. And that makes a lot of sense considering the Nikkei um, like pulled back from, <clears throat> oh, sorry, uh, pulled back from kind of those highs of that 33,500 range. Uh, down to 32, you know, seven, seven sixty here uh, this evening. So, um, but but again, just some volatility in that complex uh, can kind of just cause a little bit of um, havoc or certainly near term uh, pressure on on uh, on the equities as well. So just keep that in mind. But certainly, Japan and the U.S. most recently has been uh, kind of new opportunities where we've been grossing up our position sizing, um, and yeah. So, but uh, going back to kind of the, the three components that I uh, really kind of saw on the page this weekend, and and you saw it again this morning in terms of uh, BTC in particular, Bitcoin. I uh, had that big run up last week, uh, going into the end of, of the week. Uh, was that you know was that folks in in Russia <clears throat> buying some Bitcoins for some protection? Who knows? Uh, is it kind of a quarter in month in rotation? I'm not sure either. All I know is that that signal. Uh, although still bearish trend, um, did put in, 
put in a big high or low this morning, um, although it was also a lower high. So really what that means is volatility is coming out of that complex. Uh, does it, you know, does it mean it's going to transition back to bullish trend? Most likely not, but it's just an area of, in terms of, if you're looking for things to short, um, Bitcoin might not be the best place to be hunting at the moment until we get some uh, new confirmation that we're going to see uh, lower lows and lower highs. Uh, so you want that combination along with the bearish trend in order to kind of pick that uh, pick that, that piece back up. <clears throat> but uh, so, yeah, so that's Bitcoin. And, you know, coincidentally, you know, again, don't know if it's correlated whatsoever. Um, Chris Warner, I was speaking with him uh, earlier this afternoon, um, and he had kind of a theory that, you know, maybe – Asset allocators have a, you know, what they might have used to put, you know, 5% into kind of the hard assets in terms of gold itself. Uh, perhaps it's rotated to sort of a four to one, uh, rates of 4% gold, 1% Bitcoin. Does that impact kind of the quarterly rebalances, the fund, fund flows? Uh, speaking of fund flows, that conversation between Keith McCullough and Mike Green today, uh, and which revolved around options, but also just basically the flow of capital and how that impacts the market was absolutely spectacular. You can uh, listen to that and watch that uh, for free on our on the Hedge Eye website. Uh, so just make sure you, you go do that. It's it was an unbelievable conversation and definitely worth your time. But um, but yeah, so you know again, you know the the weakness in 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 gold here is not. I wouldn't say it's it's. It's not weakening and still uh, bullish trend, but you're got a lower high this morning and you've seen Keith basically gross down his, his sizing in terms of uh, both gold and silver. He was a seller of a hundred basis points uh, this morning and, you know, he's basically been selling on green and has reduced that size, that GLD position from it's, I think at one point it was the largest position behind FDRXX uh, to kind of right in the middle of the pack here uh, with SLV um, five from the bottom. So again, just from a uh, signal strength standpoint, uh, gold signal uh, certainly doesn't. Uh, I said, well, maybe it's just it's just weakened really <laughs> a little bit. So um, would I still be grossing up at the bottom end of the, of the risk range? Absolutely. Uh, that's what the you know full cycle investing uh, would kind of have you do. But uh, you know that loan of the risk range is down at uh, nineteen spot one nine. Um, and again, you know, when you see Keith um, either talk about or uh, take, you know, sell down some of a position of something that's been a core asset uh, on green days, um, that kind of gives you a signal inside of the signal. Uh, so he even mentioned it on the SLV uh, sell. I believe that was yesterday or it might have been um, today, but uh, basically, you know, commented that his signal is telling him that he'll have an opportunity to buy silverback lower. So again, these things are all interconnected. You really do. I need to be paying attention. Even if you don't touch your portfolio daily, this is where the weekend work uh, really comes into play, right? So if you're seeing, um, if you're seeing higher lows and high and, and some lower lows in terms of the, whether it be the, the trend uh, risk range from on inside of our ETF pro product set, or if you're just kind of looking at it yourself and, you know, working through your own signal, um, you know, the, Gold in particular has been is putting in. Um, it didn't close the week down there, but last week it did. You know, uh, have a closing a new one month and three month low. So that uh, that that's again, those are not necessarily uh, components where you want to you know where you want to be um, necessarily buying the dip there. And as I just mentioned, Keith's been 
a seller of any um, updates, uh, most recently in the last few, in the last few days. Uh, the other component, too, is when you overlay kind of the risk range uh, from gold in particular, when you look at kind of, um, you know, I, I see X2s out there. He and I talked about uh, the euro, the the euro last week, and what he needed, what we would kind of need, need to see to get a bit more bullish on the euro. Uh, interestingly enough, the next day, uh, Keith switched that signal to neutral because it uh, it's in confirmed on Monday that it's bullish trade, uh, but bearish trend. <clears throat> but uh, but again, in in terms of going back to the gold position, your that top end of the risk range is is really sitting right around um, the most recent one month high uh, that was. From uh, what was that? That was from June first, and that closing high is nineteen ninety five spot five. So, with the top end of the risk range at uh, nineteen ninety four, you're really kind of just inside of that number right now. Um, so, you really want to see that top end of the risk range uh, going higher, right? So that's where I have continued to reiterate the sort of tracking of higher lows and higher highs uh, on both a day over day and week over week basis. Um, when you see that immediate term risk range uh, kind of not giving you the potential pop probability of uh, creating a new one month high or certainly a, uh, or, or ideally a combination of both a one month and three month high, then that's uh, that, that kind of tells you that that signal isn't quite giving you the, uh, the juice you might need to be confirming uh, continuation in that bullish trend formation. So just wanted to kind of reiterate those two points. Don't know, again, don't know if that GC and, and BTC are, are correlated whatsoever, but um uh, but certainly, as of late, the U.S. dollar and gold correlations have increased. So we're sitting at a plus 0.45 um, correlation on the 15-day. Uh, the dollar uh, switched to a neutral trend this morning. Um, so again, is the dollar weakness possibly impacting kind of uh, gold in some fashion? Um, not sure, but that's certainly something to be cognizant of uh, because we've gone from basically negative correlation. Uh, at one point, it was basically trending on negative, you know, negative 0.9 plus, okay, greater than uh, negative 0.9 uh, for, you know, on, on multi durations, so all the way going from, you know, 120 days to, to 15 days in terms of a, a US, the US dollar versus the gold correlation component. So the fact that that's flipped and um, the US dollar has also turned neutral with putting in a big lower low there at 101 uh, spot 55 as of this morning at a big lower high. At 103 spot 71, um, that's kind of should be telling you a little bit of something as well. So those are two of the big things um, on my or three of the kind of big components there in terms of, of dollar, gold, and and Bitcoin. And again, kind of the same component in terms of the uh, gold uh, upper end of the risk range uh, for the dollar that's now sitting well within the most recent three month and one month highs, which we put in uh, coincidentally, I think right around the same time frame, May 30, 30, uh, May 31st, it was, uh, was that closing high. And that one was up at 104 spot 229. Uh, so you're, we're kind of well inside that window. Uh, now that those look back and, and we've talked about the look backs a lot. Now that's going to take probably another week or so to kind of those higher prices in there. Um, Cause that dollar kind of dropped. What was that? That was on um, June 8th on the Thursday, June 8th had a, a bit of a down day there uh, down about 76 basis points. And, and yeah, so that, that look back window that's sitting at the uh, kind of 10 day, um, that day's in the, within the 10, 15 day window, excuse me. Uh, so on a 21 day basis, you know, it's going to drop out now and, and kind of over the next week. Um, so again, could that signal kind of pick up steam if it sort of holds up in here around 102 spot five, three, 
Um, not sure, but that's certainly something that I'll be tracking over, over the coming next, um, next couple weeks just to see how that U.S. dollar signal uh, in conjunction with the other strengthening of the euro or weakening of the euro. Uh, it's also gone, as I said, uh, what has gone to neutral here in the last week um, and keeps kind of sing- signaling higher lows and higher highs. Um, now, it's not... <clears throat> It's not uh, back up at, uh, let me see, I think last week I said we need to get up to like one one spot one, uh, above one spot one zero, uh, and that's kind of what it's done, right? So that top and the range branch is at one spot one zero three uh, this morning. Uh, so again, you know, that's uh, certainly um, telling you that the euro is certainly picking up, uh, picking up um, <clears throat> near-term uh, trade uh, bullishness, right? So as I mentioned, it was a bullish trade, uh, but bearish trend. Uh, and I don't know where that trend line is, but certainly something to be cognizant of and uh, be prepared to sort of uh, bob and weave, pivot, right? OODA loops uh, within the FX market. Um, so, yeah, so that was kind of the rundown. I see some, obviously, some friendly faces. If we want to kind of get a bit more of a back and forth here, uh, as I said, this uh, kind of booted to the 8.30 slot, the late show. Um, these do get, you can't tell, my voice is a little raspy. I'm a little uh, a little tired today, but um you know, it's kind of why I've I moved them to four thirties because I just find them a little bit more, uh, maybe a little bit more engaged or what have you, right? Mentally, but that's okay. We'll just power through it, baby. Um, but yeah, if anybody wants to step up, uh, we can chat about anything in particular. I see many guys out there. Um, I think he had a uh, a Twitter Spaces earlier today uh, reviewing some fixed income and, and muni bonds. So I'm sure he's got the replay available if you if you uh, are interested in. And listening to that, uh, Brian's always got some some great wisdom out there on the uni space. I think uh, John Kamperth as well, who I see out there too, uh, great great uh, insight from a family office standpoint. Um, I believe the two of them hosted the that muni and uh, fixed income uh, spaces session. So uh, congrats, boys! Good job putting that on. Um, I haven't had a chance to listen to it, so apologies. But uh, we'll be doing uh, tomorrow, most likely on the train ride home. But uh, yeah. Let's get this party rocking and rolling. That's not a beer. That's just a spin drift, just FYI. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure that sounded like a beer. <laughs> um, all right, well, as guys kind of figure out if you want to jump up or not, I guess I can keep rolling through the, the deck here. Or not really a deck, but sort of rolling through my thoughts. Uh, the U.S. equities sector. The, you know, we put on that, that, that green, red eye, green eye app, uh, was buzzing green was that buy signal came out yesterday morning. Uh, so that was fun to see, uh, boy, was that uh, fortuitous timing and, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, just a great signal, uh, by Keith and, you know, we right ahead of, you know, basically at the near the lows, um, yesterday and, and with that kind of, you know, greater than 1% move today in the SPX, um, definitely. Definitely the right call. Um, does the U.S. equity market still have room to run? You know, that top side is up at 44.33. So definitely has uh, potential. Um, so, again, you know, that's something where you saw a higher low but a higher high uh, as of this morning. And really that's just kind of a narrowing of the range because volatility is coming out of that, out of the SPX. Uh, so, again, this is something where, <clears throat> all right, we got some requests. Good. Pokey. Uh, so with SPX, as these guys jump up, uh, so that's a narrowing kind of risk range because volatility is coming out. Uh, but that top end is a new uh, would be a new one month and uh, one month and three month highs. So uh, that S and P, even though it put in a, a higher low uh, this morning, 
Um, most likely that that top end risk range is going to move higher, maybe a little bit higher because of pricing. Although in Keith's refresh risk range today uh, in the afternoon, it was kind of relatively un, unchanged in terms of what the risk range looked like. And again, that could be a very likely possibility just because of uh, where the VIX is sitting at 13, about 7.3. Uh, it's down about 3.5% today. Uh, but again, you know, my point here is, you know, you got to watch kind of what that, what, where the, how the risk ranges are moving. So if we get any volatility uh, com, um, kind of back into the market, uh, sometimes that volatility can be positive. So uh, we had uh, components, I guess that was what, about a week ago to maybe two weeks ago, where you had a, a number of, uh, you know, VIX up with SPX up. So uh, will we get that same dy- dynamic? Not sure. Um, you know, Mike Green and, and, and Keith talked about, that uh, that actually that component um, <clears throat> and the influence there of both VIX, VIX and SBX on on in their discussion on their webcast today. So again, I'd really highly recommend you go watch that. I think the one big thing, one big commentary from Mike that I, that was that I took away and something that we've been talking on here a lot about in terms of shifting of focus or certainly incorporating uh, not just the VIX but also VIX nine D and and VIX one D. Um, now I put a bit more kind of weight on the 90 uh, component versus 1D. 1D is just kind of like more of a, a good to know uh, in terms of like what's happening in in regards to volatility space today. Um, but the Mike Green had a had a slide in there uh, in his presentation where uh, he was tracking the volume on both uh, 30 days and I believe it was uh, one or two day contracts. So uh, basically, you know call them zero DTEs and the amount of volume or the lack of volume, I guess, on, on the, the longer, longer dated um, uh, option contracts was quite astonishing. And so again, I'd, I'd really recommend you go watch that, uh, watch that clip, watch that webcast. Uh, but yeah, John Pokey, welcome. Bob, can you hear I'm me? Ken, sir. How's the West coast? Uh, it's another beautiful day in time. Uh, Love um, it. I'll see you in Vegas, if not before. Oh, perfect. But, uh, anyway, hey, Fed question for some of the more um, educated Fed watchers than, than myself. Now that the TGA's being replenished, yep. and you know, MT says they can't afford to let short-term rates go up much more because they have to finance all that debt, mm-hmm. right? And DDB on another podcast said she didn't think Powell would raise the next go round. But my question is, is, this is what I need some help with. With the QT, uh, I know it kind of got masked with the TGA, but how much and how soon is going to just roll off when these things come to maturity and what is the opinion on are they actually going to start selling more securities instead of just letting them roll off because there's so much between fiscal and monetary funny money and stimulus out there i think you're seeing that which was what green was talking about today you know there's just it's all flows people are trading off the flows which i've traded off of for quite a while but could anybody help me understand what and if how much actual QT is going to be evolving in the next, say, quarter or so? And I'll mute up here. No, it's a good question. If anybody's got any kind of more intimate 
knowledge on how kind of the you know the TGA works or sort of this this concept, please you know by all means jump up and, and speak. I, I I only know so much on a relatively high level, John. Uh, to be perfectly frank and, and open and transparent with you, uh, but um, you know I, I did I've been reading a little bit on how they're they're uh, how they're kind of replenishing the TGA, but still uh, but really almost still providing some QE, right? So not quite the, the QT that everybody was anticipating. Um, in terms of the things rolling off, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I, I, yeah, and you'll notice that, that he gets very flippant or nearly brushes aside or tries to any question about real QT when he's asked about yeah. it. Except for saying that they're going to let things roll off at maturity. Right, exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, so, you know, my, my – I go back to like the signal, John, uh, because that's really, you know, to me, that's, I, I think there's a lot of kind of opinions out there. And again, you know, love Danielle, but you know, she's, you know, that's, that's just another opinion, right? Like the, the signal in the data right now has a two year top end of the risk range at four spot eight one. And we're trading at, um, you know, four spot seven, five, five. So yeah, there's like five basis points there or sorry, six basically um, in terms of to the upside. But until that starts to really move higher, uh, John, to me, uh, I'm in kind of Danielle's camp. So like it's a Danielle, uh, you know, basically h- higher for longer, but, you know, how much higher? Uh, and right now the, the the market is telling you that we're kind of basically things are relatively priced in. Um, so that'd be that's kind of like, again, I don't, I don't know, I'm trying to like dump down the question or anything like that. But the, that's where the, the leaning on the signal really kind of just helps streamline and you kind of don't have to not you don't have necessarily like think as much right in terms of um you know what does this tga really mean you know is there more liquidity less liquidity out there because uh, you're going to get a corresponding one in t- as well in terms of of spx uh you know whether you, you look at the s&p the nasdaq you know the russell you're going to get if there's quant- quantity of tightening happening you're going to see uh, those signals um, start to pick up steam to the downside, right? So, uh, you know, Nasdaq's bullish trend; it's putting in higher lows and higher highs. S and P is is still bearish trend, but it also, as I mentioned, is being put in higher high and higher low today. And we actually went, you know, you know, put it put it back on the board for a trade uh, yesterday. So, um, that's kind of that'd be my answer, buddy. I, I just don't I don't think I'm in the camp. I, I'm also in the camp that I don't think this TGA is as diabolical of a situation as many kind of thought it might be in over the last sort of couple months. Yeah. Cause that's over with now the replenishment. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like the, sorry, the re- replenishment. I, I think they can kind of, you know, again, they got a lot of, a lot of things up their sleeve <laughs> to John in terms of, you know, uh, how they can finagle the numbers or not really finagle the numbers, but I mean, you get the point, right? Like they just have, you know, they don't want things to necessarily crash. They don't necessarily want the the party to be completely over. Um, and but they 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 will do a lot of. They have a lot of like levers. I guess is a better way of saying it. They have a lot of different levers that they can pull. Um, kind of like how you know, if you think about the uh, the um, uh, crude, the the oil uh, oil oil reserves, right? And and how we were depleting those, or or kind of you know leaking putting those out into the into the market uh and a lot of folks were anticipating that that was going to have to get you know filled right back up and that that was going to drive the price of oil back up well it, it didn't right and it, they're still kind of in the process of of filling those reserves back up uh so you know could there a similar situation happen with tga i got no clue um so you know again that's kind of why i lean on the signal
Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and I wanted to introduce you to my favorite product at Hedgeye, the Macro Show. Why is it my favorite product? Well, it's my show. I do that every morning. If you want to get ready for the market day, you want to contextualize all the data, you want to make good decisions, then this is what you should be watching. It's a repeatable process that you can deliberately study, measuring and mapping time series to time series of data. So it's not going headline to headline and getting whipped around. It's actually being so much more dispassionate about it and making good decisions that are data-driven. So we'd love to have you on our team. Come join us. Tune in weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern and on demand anytime. Go to hedgeye.com research to subscribe. Uh, ben, you jumped up. I don't know if you had any additional commentary around like the TG and stuff like that. But by all means, happy to hear your thoughts. Not, uh, uh, first of all, uh, oh. long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Um, yeah. I love the... Uh, thanks, thanks for jumping on. <laughs> you know, I, I love the uh, the uh, the weekly uh, notebook reviews and all that kind of stuff. Um, my uh, my partner's a, a long-time Hedgeye user. I'm just kind of an intern. Um, but on the, uh, on the TGA, um, that is an extraordinarily complicated topic. Um, the, the first person I recommend everyone to go kind of read on that specific topic, especially when it comes to the actual plumbing side of that as uh conks, which is a uh, uh, concoda uh, or concoda nomics, something like that. Um, but they, they do these amazing kind of visual write-ups, very heavy on like the plumbing side of how it works between the TGA, the RRP, the fed reserves, all that kind of stuff. Um, as it actually works in, in reality, um, when we were talking about QT, I'm, I'm in that camp of, like, I'll believe it when I see it, because they've been talking about that since roughly this time last year. Um, and they yeah. have never met their actual, <laughs> their actual QT, you know, projections. Um, and I don't think that it was, it was uh, um, anything but a Freudian slip when, uh, or Freudian, I, I don't know if I'm saying that word right. Uh, when, when Powell said skip at the last meeting, which implies that there would be a rate hike in June, I think that because, you know, their their preferred metric is the core PCE. And mm-hmm. that has been accelerating for three months because um, like headlines down for sure. But core is accelerating. And between that and a very tight labor market, when the goal, the, the Fed's goal is to frankly crash, you know, not crash, but to very much damper the economy i think that we're gonna get you know short of a huge drawdown in core pce and a huge and a decent rise in unemployment um between now and the next fed meeting i think that we'll get a rate hike in july um and i i think that that especially labor is something that they're really focused on and something i've wrote about a lot it's been my pinned tweet i think for over a year now um but a a quick note on the labor market, just because I got to throw this out there because I don't think I've talked to a lot of you guys much. Um, the BLS is is admitted themselves that they are they basically have no fundamental framework for measuring gig work, um, and a third of our labor economy in this country participates in the gig economy. Sixty million American workers participate in the gig economy, and the BLS themselves have admitted that they don't actually have a comprehensive way to tabulate gig workers um and that was something that just didn't exist in the previous you know economic cycle the previous business cycle 
Um, so it's, you know, these days it's easier than ever to sign up for part-time work to, you know, go do DoorDash, Uber, Lyft, uh, Instacart, whatever you want to do. Um, and that will skew employment numbers. And I think in my opinion, a reasonable, a pretty, pretty substantial way. And again, the, the BLS is flying blind on this because they themselves admit that they don't really know how to calculate it. They don't have a way to calculate it. So I think that's really ultimately what's going to kind of keep the Fed's foot on the gas is a really tight labor market that's kind of propped up by bad stats because of the, the gig economy. That's all. Yeah, Mike Green's talk. Hey, guys. Um, Mike Green's talked about that on a couple of his podcasts with the with the issues around the birth death model um, with gig contractors needing to essentially once they hit a certain number, I believe it's ten thousand dollars that they they have to go out and um, uh, essentially start a start a business. Um, so th- there are some really big structural issues around that. That's a great point. I'm a, I'm not going to pat myself on the back too hard, but I talked to Mike Green about that about probably about eight months ago. <laughs> So, hey, um, that's, that's awesome, Ben. He was, uh, yeah. he was in the office today. It was great. Great to see Mike. He's such a good, such a great guy. I, I love that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Pokey. Yeah. Really good insight, Ben. Thanks for that, buddy. Yeah. I just cracked a beer. I don't know if anyone heard it, but Robert, you should have a beer. <laughs> I uh, I no, know, Robert. I had, hey, you. I had enough beers, I had enough beers yesterday on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Have a have a great vacation next week. Uh, you're, you've earned it. You do a great thanks, job, man. and and thanks thanks for. I feel like I'm the only one who's asked for this, but thanks for no, for, uh, for pushing it, it back. I yeah. love you. I love you. But if it was only you, I, I might not have pushed it back to eight thirty. But uh, that's, there's there's, there's, that's there's, the there's a number of requests, so we'll uh, we'll try to rotate these in every once in a while. As I as I said, it's just uh, you know, to get some. You know, some anyway, it just gets to be a bit of a long day. You know, I I used to have to do them at eight thirty because. Uh, I had a, a real job, right? So I was doing other stuff. I was doing other <laughs> stuff. Now this is my job, so I can kind of do it well, when you, I want. But uh, but yeah, you still have a, you still have a real job, and you do you do great work <laughs> with it. And we're all we're all we're all grateful Thank for you, you man. So hey, um, and at some point you should put a plug in for what was discussed on that on that call today between um, between Mike and, and Keith because um, it's it's pretty exciting stuff. But the um, and congrats to you guys for that. That's awesome. Um, I've been looking through, I've, I've been going through and looking at, at volume statistics. And so right now it's just total volume market. I'm pulling it from CBOE. Um, I have about 500 and just under 600 days of data loaded in so far. Um, it's really, there's some interesting stuff when you start to, to dig through it. Like for example, like five of the top 27 volume days out of the last 600 are Fridays in June. And they're they're the they're uh, they're they're Mopex Fridays. They're not end of the month. So it's you know when you when especially dovetailing on what they were talking today with like fund flows and, and inflows and pass flows, um, you know it's going to be really interesting. I think over the next few weeks to see what the institutional side is, is going to do. Um, you know with with a clean break on Friday, Monday is going to be dead. Tuesday's off. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, it's going to be. It's. I think we're setting up really for an interesting, in a really interesting July. And just for today, I mean, there was. I think everyone would pretty much agree. Like today was a, a pretty broad strength, a, gr- a broad strength day on the market. But I track, and it's an arbitrary number. I tracked about two hundred and sixty-two stocks in my model. 
out of the 262 and they're they're mostly names that i've over the years i've picked up from hedgeye so they're they cross sectors they cross um um market caps only 43 of the 262 which is 16 percent were up on accelerating volume today compared to their trade duration average so it's it's really interesting when you when you kind of take that next level as keith's been talking about with with where the money's flowing and what's happening um you know this is not as you know we're we're in something i don't know what we're in but it's there's not a ton of volume in a lot of places right now let's put it that way yeah that's a good point ben i'll come to you in just one second buddy but yeah good good comment uh pokey and and that's you know spx i think had about 96 percent of of its volume i I track it on a five day uh, so the the five day average volume um i could plug it into 15 day but um but yeah good comment and and it'll be interesting to see kind of what that data looks like in the morning from the the morning uh you know step step back uh that, that we get that richie sends over to see what the what what his volume was on kind of like that day over day one month three month uh, i thought yet i thought yeah. yesterday so again like just to go both to, to not not play both sides but but to comment on both both sides of, of the coin here um that down volume yesterday was down 36 percent on day over day basis down 18 percent on a one month basis on that down move so uh it's kind of you know, I, I don't think it's going to be quite that bad uh, today. So again, you know, I think really good comment. The volume's just been weaker. I think in general, if you've been tracking it or writing it down, uh, the volume in the last few months is you know on a one-year basis. If you go out, you know, track that number. I mean, yesterday it's down, you know, minus twenty-six percent. If I flip to, um, uh, you know, basically, what's this? This is uh, May twenty-fifth. Same thing, minus twenty-six percent on a one-year basis. So you know, has a quarter of like basically natural flows uh, been pulled from the market. You know, are they sitting in money market accounts um, across the board? I'm not sure, but a uh, really good comment on the volume. I thought today's was uh, the the one that stood out to me in terms of like weaker volume uh, was uh, the Russell. So like IWM was up today on only like 83% on the, of the average volume on, on, um, on a five-day basis. So uh, that to me was interesting considering like SPY, both Qs were basically around – I think like 90, like kind of in the 90s, 93 uh, on the SPY. And, uh, and I want to say it was 98. Oh, I forgot the third Q. Uh, yeah. Nope. Yeah. No, you're totally right. On the 15 on the fifteen day IWM was 75% yeah. today. And on the 15 day SPY was 87. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, it, it, you know, when, when Keith says that, I'll, I'll, I'll give him credit when he says that the IWM is a lot weaker than the SPY, like, the numbers are, you know, when you really forget just the price action, look at, look at action, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of validity there. Yeah. hundred percent. And that, that Russell, again, I mean, that's a, a good, really good comment. And uh, the, the top end of that risk range on the Russell is 1861. And, you know, those, those recent highs up in that kind of 1900 range, sort of the, was it, I think that was like done June 15th uh, timeframe. Yeah. Uh, not quite June 13th. Uh, that was that, that was the high it closed at eighteen ninety six, and so yeah, yeah. I mean, like the top end of the risk range is nowhere close to that at this point in time. So the the weakness there is definitely uh, very significant on the Russell versus uh, things like the Nasdaq and, and SPX on the on the U.S. side of things, U.S. equities. Uh, ben, let me go. To, let me uh, come back to you, but just a, a question for for uh, don't know how to say his name, Pope Pokey. Pokey. Pokey, Pokey. You can call me. I, I personally just like. I even, in, I met him in real life in Agile Lab, and I still called him Pokey. <laughs> <laughs> all good, all good. 
Um, so on the, the volume thing, so how much of that do you think is, is uh, you know, contributed to just the, 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 the Russell rebalancing? Because it's obviously, you know, also the, obviously the, the Russell 1, 2, and 3K only rebalances once a year in June right around that MOPEX. So how much of it do you think is that versus some sort of actual market action? You know, it, I, I, without looking at the numbers, and I, I don't have that in front of me right now, so I don't want to speak and I, I don't know. Um, but what I would say is that, you know, especially after listening to, to Mike and Keith today, people are chasing the things that are working. And a lot of the shit in the IWM, you know, is it, it things want to go. I mean, like, you know, like GameStop got a bid today. Like things are trying to move, but are they really going to keep moving? And are people, do people really want those things on their books too at the end of the month, at the end of the quarter? Um, you know, those are, those are the questions that I would have. I think that if, if, if things have had a nice move, I wouldn't be surprised if people are lightening up this week. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, Ben, to answer your question, uh, does it, well, sorry. Again, I'm not trying to be a dick, but does it really matter? Uh, right? Like it just, I mean, the volume is the volume. So the flows are the flows type thing, uh, at least in my view. Right. So the, and that's where the signal will pick it up. That's why it's price volume and volatility. Uh, so if you do get an increase in volume uh, into, say, the Russell, uh, you're going to start to see that. And you're going to see the signal pick it up, and you're going to see that in the price action as well. Uh, so it will be interesting. I mean, I think, you know, if you do get a rotation, let's just say, you know, we're going into, well, on, on paper, we're, we're, we're looking at a quad one in Q3. And Q3 starts next week. Uh, so does, is, there, is there potential for some form of, of rotation? Now, you know, again, this is where the signal will drive the decision making in terms of like where we you know what piece of inventory we put on the books um but you could make a case again in a quad one environment that uh that you could get maybe some rotation to smaller caps higher beta uh momentum names um and but uh but yeah but i mean we've also we've also kind of have seen that in the last month or so i mean the the the, the the closing lows on a one month on the, in the last 21 days was uh, wasn't that long ago. It was only a month ago, May 31st at at, at 17:49 spot six five. Uh, so you know, in in, a, in the last month that in the last 21 trading days that uh, that things moved uh, moved basically, you know, uh, 100 and call it 150 uh, points. So it's uh, it, it's had a big move off of. Uh, what had been kind of a trading range there from March to April of, of kind of call it, you know, 1720 to seven, you know, seven, 1800. So what, what kind of perked my ears just on the, on the volume comment was um, I know that, that June, uh, I believe at least for the SPX um, historically, as, as far as historical average returns on a monthly basis, I believe June is either the second or third worst month of the year. Yeah, July is um, one, one of the best. July is so. It is was June the? Do you know if June is this? Is June the second worst month of the year next to September? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. I just know it's on the bottom, like bottom, basically. Yeah, bottom it's quartile. it's <laughs> it's a yeah, it's a crappy month. But I, yeah. that was that also kind of made me wonder too, just because obviously you know typically volume precedes price and yada mm-hmm. yada. So that just also was part of my thinking on that. Yeah. Yeah. Good comment. 
Pokey, I, I know you've been working on, on your model a, a lot. Um, uh, any other kind of interesting components jumping out at you? Love that you're doing some volume analysis. Um, it's, it's individual stock things, like a couple tickers, but I know that's not really what, what we do here. Uh, what, I, what, I, what I do want to bring yeah. up, and I don't know if anyone has any opinions on this, I think that the Supreme Court ruling on student loan debt is going to play a big factor in where we where the market goes from here. With with Paul talking that that decision could come down any day, you would expect them to try to get that done before the Fourth of July. Um, you know, get that get that out. I don't think that they're going to want to have it hanging over their heads and they just clear you know clear the docket. Um, I think that that's going to be a huge factor in determining, especially with 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 retail names and, and a lot of the small caps. But that's going to be the. I think that's going to tell a lot with market sentiment, with how people are are going to start position and what the signal is going to sniff out over the next few weeks. And that's going to carry on for you know for the rest of the year. Yeah, I'm not in my head. Uh, I think you know. I, uh, until that comes out again, it's sort of one of these things where, kind of like the TGA, kind of like the oil, oil reserves, you know, will they find a way? I, I don't know, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have no idea, and it doesn't matter. And I know it doesn't. Whatever they do, it doesn't matter. My student loan debts are fucking private, so I'm I'm screwed either way, right? But the um, I'm still on the hook for three hundred nineteen dollars and thirty three cents a month. Um, but like the whole the but the um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that there's in because, you know, that's the, that's a big linchpin and that's a big unknown. And when you talk about, especially with, with people that have student loan debt with the high inflation numbers and everything like that could be a huge consumer, you know, spending boom or bust. Well, that, that to me, so I think that piece of the puzzle pokey um, almost plays out in 2024. Right. So like that's going to be, you know, Keith made that comment, I believe it was on the macro show this morning where uh, it might have been with Mike Green. I kind of forget, but um, he made a comment and, and we've been he, we've talked about it here on Week Notebook Review because it's it's in the numbers it's in the data. Uh, but in terms of the growth expectations moving forward, right, in terms of basically somewhere between, you know, this this this. Uh, quarter we're still predicting an, a negative kind of q over q gdp number uh but then basically sort of uh, somewhere between you know zero and and one right so like 100 basis points in terms of like you know q over q growth so relatively flat and and if you look at so my point is is that if those numbers or if like the student loan debt does come back on i think that's going to start to impact you know that'll have more of a negative impact on say earnings and, and also just general gdp growth uh, in the, the kind of basically, you know, call it Q4 quarter of like earnings. So that won't get reported till uh, 2024, right? And then, and so on and so forth. So kind of like that prolongation of, you know, how long could we be in this sort of like kind of, <laughs> they call it this like, you know, rut, right? Like kind of, you know, in terms of, you know, maybe it's growth. That's why I say quad one, although it's a quad one on paper, uh, it is only like very nominal sequential growth. So, um, you know, how much of an impact is that on kind of earnings and, you know, the quote unquote euphoria of the market? I'm not sure. Uh, but that's it's a really good point. And I think um, it's something to be cognizant of. I did. I, you know, so many eyeballs are on that, though. Pokey. I mean, like it's mentioned on like every other. Again, I'm not this is not a dig on you, buddy. I just like 
it, it's mentioned consistently across like spaces, like oh, totally. everywhere. So, you know, how, I, I, yeah, I, I just don't know. I don't know. I, I think if they, I yeah, think if no, they I, punt it, that's going to have a bigger impact than if it comes. I don't, can, what do you mean by punt uh, it? Like if they could kind of figure out some way of like having this either prolong the, like when they return or it somehow. would be the ninth time that they extended it. Right. I, I understand. I, I'm just saying you guys like, you know, if they somehow figure out or like do something <laughs> to basically push it back further or to get there, if this, you know, to, if, if somehow the yeah. Supreme court doesn't, you know, rules in the favor of, you know, basically the administration and, you know, then you know what happens then i, I don't know it's uh, it's an interesting component and the other one too yeah it's in fast. terms of like um well, because you mentioned paul glencher i think this activision i mean that that merger arm is incredibly attractive now yeah i'll just leave it at that <laughs> i know we don't talk i know we don't really talk stocks here uh but that merger arm i think if paul's right that thing i mean it looked even better last week uh but uh but yeah still got uh, what, what is it? Still has a think. I want to say like, uh, what's that? The deal's at ninety four, right? So it's got about ten ten bucks left, or is it at eighty seven? Deals at what's the, deals at ninety four, right? Yeah, so it's still got about ten bucks. Hi, Robert McGordy here, director of subscriber development at Hedgeye. Hope you're enjoying our podcast. Start generating alpha with our suite of sector pro investing research products. Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actionable ideas on Wall Street. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode. The uh, No, Paul's been on a roll. Paul, I think Paul's Paul's having a, Paul's, you know, he's always great, but I think the the past, the past three months with the stuff he's put out that he's talked about on the, on the morning call has been, has been huge. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's really telling though, the fact that he says this could go either way, because usually he's got a pretty good, he he's probably got a pretty good pulse on it. Yeah. So for him, if it's a toss up, you know, you know, that's, I think, I think that's the, you know, and like I said before, on the student loan side. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. I went back to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't, you know, whatever it is, whatever happens, happens. And, and it's, it's, I just think it's one of those when you're looking at, you know, what are catalysts like that yep. is going to be a catalyst one way or the other. Yep. Um, and, and it's, you know, the, the media finds a, the blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. Yep. Um, so, so I got a question for you. I yeah. know, I know you're tired. No, I don't no, want to bother you, but so up, knowing I'm that up. my, my, my brain's <laughs> back and firing. <laughs> no, knowing Sorry, knowing I, that I it's a, I, I think I made the mistake of rather than sitting at my dad. So during when I was having my salad at, at dinner, I uh, turned on Disney Plus. I watched that first uh, um, the first episode of the of the Nick Fury um, new show that's out. And I think I just that that was a mistake, Bucky. I need to go back. To, I needed <laughs> I needed to be at my desk eating my salad, still drilling down things. I kind of did all the work ahead of time, um, and so I, I think that was my mistake. Uh, I'll learn for that. I'll, I'll remember that next time. It's been a minute since I've done an eight thirty spaces. <laughs> I, I should know better. You just gotta fucking keep grinding through it all. <laughs> yeah, stay, stay yeah, sharp. Yeah. Now I'm back in it. Now I'm like driving. <laughs> all right so now that you're back in there, okay now the tough question so knowing that knowing that hedge is forecasting knowing that you guys are forecasting like a shallow quad one yep. starting in starting in a few days yep. how are you personally approaching that 
And uh, what are you, what are your thoughts around adjustments that you're making to your portfolio, or are you just in a wait and see mode right now? Because it, the line between shallow quad one and shallow quad four is really thin. The last time I saw it, and, and the last time Steiner, I, I heard Steiner talk about yeah, it. Yeah, let me just pull up. I got the updated deck. Yes, or it's like should be. In, uh, it was lowered macro pro I think today. Okay, Drago, one second. Um, yes, yeah, so we're still on QRQ because you were a, you were. A, yeah, the reason I'm asking is you are a power user. I don't mean to yeah, talk no, over you, but I'm going to talk over you. You are a for those for those of you who don't who don't know who are, who are relatively new to the call. Robert was a huge power user beforehand. So the reason I'm asking now is now that he's inside and and kind of seeing how some of the sauce is made. I'm curious to see how his how his thinking has changed. Yeah, so it hasn't really changed. Hasn't really changed much because really the signal kind of drives a lot of a lot of what I would. Yeah, the signal drives like all of my portfolio, you know, portfolio allocation, right? So, and, and you've seen that signal kind of confirm itself. And, and some may say it was late to the party, whatever, but uh, it is what it is. I mean, the signal is the signal. And you've now seen kind of confirmation in terms of, say, the NASDAQ. Uh, XLK has been on the board for quite some time now. A number of the larger cap, high quality names, uh, the the Elite Eight, as we've kind of dubbed them, dubbed them here on, on, the, on the weekly notebook review. Uh, most of, you know, many other than, you know, most, all but Tesla and Amazon have, you know, gone back to bullish trend over the last course of the last few weeks. Uh, in terms of the data, in terms of quad one, um, you know, the signal, how I've approached this quad one from the, as soon as I saw it on the page was that it was going to be signal dependent, right? In terms of like what was going to be working um, is going to be all driven off the signal because it's exactly to your point in terms of, uh, it's basically been a coin flip between uh, quad one and quad four. So just for folks listening at home who might not have this data and it's going to get uh, reiterated and, and, and provided uh, again by, by Keith uh, for the Q3 macro themes presentation on Thursday. But the conditional probability of quad one in Q3 is 46.3% and the conditional probability of quad four is 39.8%. Uh, the interesting component here is that the conditional probability of quad one in Q2 has gone from, uh, you know, uh, has increased basically to 41.9% and conditional probability of quad four had been sitting um, up at kind of like 64, 65%. Um, and now it's down to 556 So you, you basically have uh, almost kind of, except it's the reverse right now on, on the board, it's, it's sort of quad four. A little bit more of a fair fight there in, in, in Q3, but you basically have this kind of uh, conditional probability saying um, kind of quad ones, quad fours uh, in both you know this quarter and next quarter. Uh, so I, I think, again, that's just where the signal will help drive where you uh, position your portfolio. Um, and then the quad four and Q4 is sitting at the conditional probability is 57.4%. And then you basically kind of have a quad three at 17.3 and then quad one at 19.4%. So really kind of like a bit of a coin flip on the, in terms of like what's second place there um, in Q4. But uh, you're, you, again, depending on how the data starts rolling in, that Q4 number could also shift. And, and that, that's kind of what I've been tracking more closely, um, Pokey, is sort of how, what's the rate of change or the conditional probability um, on the page in the book, um, like in the, on the deck, right? So like as data has flowed in and we, we keep getting that economic data, then how, how is, how have those numbers been shifting? And I think that, that in conjunction with sort of, you know, tracking the signals quite closely in terms of what's putting in higher highs, higher lows, 
uh, again, even if they're in bearish trends, uh, there is you know, things can be bullish trade and, and still be in a bearish trend. And, and we saw that in say the NASDAQ or, or we're seeing that in, in, or in the Euro um, last week or, or, you know, still this week where it's, it's now neutral, but it's, you know, bear, bullish trade, bearish trend uh, components. So, you know, it depends on how you position your portfolio. If you can play it a little bit more uh, nimbly in shorter term, which, which I can, uh, then I, I will, you know, play more on that kind of trade duration uh, with the, uh, with the desire and the goal to basically invest in the full cycle. Right. So you're kind of, you know, playing that trend. Like I, I ideally put on a position and, and don't touch it for, say weeks right like in, in the perfect world uh now that doesn't necessarily always happen um and i incrementally touch stuff all the time but um but yeah that's kind of again that was a bit of a long-winded answer but i think that's that's sort of how i i'm thinking about it and, and even yeah and even this q2 number um is going to be interesting as we you know continue to get you know data rolling in and and, and i've yeah thank you man thanks for sharing yeah, yeah. Go to Palmer. Yeah. Go to Palmer. Yeah. What's up? AI. Does that say AI Palmer? What's <laughs> <laughs> going on, McGordy? I'm good, man. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. Long time, no talk, man. Been busy with yeah. life. Um, hey, just a couple thoughts on some of the things yeah. I've heard. Uh, one, uh, just a, a brief note on that, on the student loan forgiveness thing. That in the budget deal, um, they basically gave or prevented any um, – you know, potential executive action, you know, from stopping that. So if the Supreme Court does what I think they'll do and, and stop it and make people go back to repaying, that gigantic screaming sound will be all the retailers in the economy going, oh, shit, what's coming? Um, I just don't see, you know, I, I just don't see, yeah, you know, it's Washington. They could always figure something stupid out down the road, but I just don't see – how that doesn't have at least a one quarter or, or even potentially a two quarter impact on spending. And you know, a- anecdotally, I-, I noticed this, we were on vacation in June, but you know, it does still seem to be that, you know, vacation is somewhat strong, but we were down to Orlando and I was kind of surprised at, at uh, you know, how we went to universal and it, it was not that crowded for that time of year. And you'd think it'd been more crowded than that. So I don't know. I kind of wonder, I think people are, are still kind of slowing down on their spending, but uh, it makes you think that it's kind of this whole, you know, YOLO type. I'm going to, you know, get in what I can while I can do it. And, you know, once reality starts to set in, I just don't see how the, the, you know, the economy holds up. Cause especially when you look at the last couple uh, consumer debt numbers that were reported, cause they were just atrocious and, and it's clear what people are doing. I mean, if they're, they, they're basically propping the, you know, the economy up on their, on their credit card. Um, the other thing I was curious, you said something and I, maybe I missed some big news, but they've not put one drop of oil back in that reserve. As far as I'm aware, am I missing something? No, that's, that's my point. Well, maybe I missed your point. (laughs) Maybe you're not the only one that's tired. (laughs) No, my, my point was that basically when many folks anticipated that, they were going to have to replenish the oil reserves, and therefore it was going to put, oh, I'm it was going to put okay. like a floor gotcha. under the price and or drive it higher because they were going to be in the market, right? And from a supply demand situation, and they have not yeah, they've, yeah. they've not done that, and so 
is it possible that they kind of do a similar situation with with the TGA? I don't know, um, but that's kind of you know again they, gotcha. they, they have to they have to. It's just a very complicated issue uh, and one that I am no expert on, and I think you know many on Twitter or neither are many on Twitter. So Ben, I'm going to have you repeat. I, I tried to Google it. Did you say it was C O N C Conk? I don't know if you can still speak. You're on mute. What's that? The the, the papers that you or the the organization that you said. What was it that I was trying to Google it on the TGA? I wanted to read up on it. You said it was like oh, conk or something. I, I posted in the nest. It's, oh, it's, perfect, man. Yeah, it, oh, it's brilliant. Conks. Yeah, that, got it, got it, got it. Okay, okay. Yeah, cool, yeah. cool. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Also, right, so, just on on travel, really quick. Um, if you're trying to track that the only thing that you should be watching and this is a wonderful resource if you're not aware of it um the tsa tr- uh, uh publishes uh daily checkpoint numbers for the entire nation in the u.s um and you can just go right to their website and they they publish this data going way way back when um that's a, a huge thing i watch because we're you know waiting to kind of see you know, travel numbers break in a meaningful way to short, specifically Airbnb. Um, uh, fun fact, uh, the the largest number of age demographic guests for Airbnb is also the largest age demographic of student loan debt holders. <laughs> I'm just going to just going to say that and uh, do with that what, what you want. I hear I hear someone giggle. At- <laughs> That's me. That's the majority. That's great. <laughs> Uh, Leo, welcome, uh, welcome to the show. Or Pokey, sorry, go ahead. No, I'll go to Leo. All right. Leo, you're on mute though, mate. Maybe you can't talk. All right. Hey, Leo, when you're ready, you unmute yourself. Pokey, I'll come back to you. Yeah, I'll fill, I'll fill All a buster. Right. No, I totally, I, I, the, the overlap between Airbnb and, and credit card debt and a lot of other things is fascinating. Ben's spot on there. Um, anecdotally and purely anecdotal, I, so I live in DC, uh, but my current foster dog's getting adopted in, to, in Charleston in, uh, the weekend after July 4th. So I was looking to see if I could find an Airbnb that wasn't, you know, like two grand, three grand a night, somewhere between DC and Charleston. And there are a shit ton of places that are still open on Airbnb and Verbo for next week. And I've, it's, it's astonishing that the number of places that are still there and also the number of places that still want extraordinary amount of money for the, for the rent. You're going to see, like, I know DDB has been talking about this. Um, you know, you guys at Hedge, I've been talking about it with, with this. That's what's going to really change up the, um, the commercial real estate in a lot of these, you know, the, especially the coastal and the vacation places, you're just seeing right now the ones that are selling, you're seeing boomers just come in and pay cash for the places. But if you go to the real estate listings, you see like it's, it, they list rental income in the real estate listings for a lot of these places. Yeah. I don't, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I don't remember what it was. Uh, DDB posted something last night. I saw on Twitter a chart that looked at one of the real estate markets about been a relationship between listings and Airbnb properties, and that you know, I, you know I'm a new home construction. That's one of the more because it won't affect our market. I'm in Kansas City, so hell, it's it's not a very strong you know Airbnb rental market. But it will be interesting to see what that does to housing prices, and if if that does end up becoming a big problem because in some.
some of these bigger cities where there's a significant amount of those, uh, there's no way that doesn't impact the supply. But, you know, to what extent, uh, who knows? Because supply sucks so bad right now, now it's not even funny. Yeah, just I I, uh, I saw a tweet earlier um, about it, so I just posted it in the Nest. Actually, it was about kind of the Airbnb revenue. Um, yeah, well, they called it collapse. Uh, I haven't done gone that deep onto the the. I, I really just looked at the the chart to be perfectly frank with you, but I did post it in there. I, I planned on on uh, reading the thread later, uh, but two of the places that they were highlighting was basically uh, Phoenix and Austin, Texas, in terms of uh, basically forty six, forty seven percent drops in. Um, in revenue uh, in the in from uh, May year over year uh, for the month of May, uh, so definitely you know the impact on the housing again. I mean Palmer, you, you know this uh, better than anyone, and, and certainly one of the potential reasons is that ITB or, or kind of the housing stocks themselves have been you know quite strong is due to the supply demand situation that's out there, uh, and so you know could this be some of the supply? Uh, that, you know, these Airbnb owners, you know, do they need to, they're not getting the revenue to cover the mortgage payments. Uh, do they need to, you know, re, you know, basically, um, you know, put those houses, those houses onto the market. And is that the supply that's going to be, um, that's going to impact, you know, the pricing that's, that's relatively stayed, you know, sticky and high, uh, for longer in, in most places across the country. And, you know, add into that too, you know, what's, the thing that most perplexes me and I find fascinating is what's going to happen. If we get a break in interest rates, you know, I, it's been surprisingly strong. I mean, not it's not like we're setting any land records here. I mean, we own, we're down like 50% year over year in terms of uh, revenue. And, um, you know, and you know, house sales are down quite a bit. But, you know, interest rates are sky high and they're still looking and they're still buying. And, you know, it's like I always, I keep telling people that the most fundamental thing to look at in whatever we get into this, the serious side of this recession in the housing sector will be you know people will people will definitely buy houses if they have jobs and you know so that's the big question how, how bad are you know job losses you know when we finally get in, into the, the shit and you know that that'll that'll be the destiny of the housing sector if job losses aren't that bad especially in some of the markets that are a little less desirable I, you're going to see a real there's not one housing market in the United States of America. There's a bunch of micro markets and there'll be some areas where I don't think, I don't really think it's going to hurt them that bad. I, I think we're actually one of those markets because, you know, the cost of living is super low here. So, um, I don't, I don't think it'll drag us down that much, but there'll be some places where it will. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how this, this is not equally distributed. Yeah. John, thanks. Uh, so Kemper uh, tagged me and shared the, uh, DDB, uh, tweet Palmer that I think you were mentioning, so it's up in the nest as well. Uh, just in terms of Airbnb rentals versus homes for sale. Uh, so yes, yeah, so that's uh, really good stuff. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Uh, ben, back to you. Hi, <laughs> I uh, I reposted that um, oh. that article like three or four days ago. Uh, I went through the entire data set, and it is fucking alarming. Um, <laughs> If I can curse here, you, you um, can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I'm already, I'm already like four you, years but... in, so it's, <laughs> I like it. you know. Um, but so yeah, I went through that entire article and their the because they, 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 they referenced all the data, um, and I went through it all and so quick background uh, in my ex life, I was in construction and uh, 
uh, construction administration management out here in Las Vegas, Nevada, um, going into and up to the GFC. So I got to see, you know, cause like we were just like building, um, entire subdivisions with like 2% take rates. Like I was there to witness that sort of insanity. Um, and the, to, to, the, to the credit of the builders, they are not doing that this time around. They're trying to really cater to what they think will be like the most kind of profitable geographies and like the most sustainable geographies. Like they're not just kind of like piling into every single bubble the way that they were during the GFC. Because um, again, like I was <laughs> on the front lines for that. That was, you know, basically destroyed that ex-life of mine when I was there. Um, but it gave me a lot of really good experience, you know, like, like, you know, looking back, obviously. Um, so there's like, yeah, Phoenix is fucked, fucked with a capital F. Um, like, I don't know why anybody thought it was a good idea to like build up all these tracks in a city where like your average summer temperature is 110 degrees Fahrenheit. That is just insane to me. Um, you know, they, they had the stadium build up. That was a really short-term thing. Um, but in my my humble opinion, um, we are in an Airbnb bubble right now. And if you don't think that, I would encourage you to go on Facebook and you can join any number of Airbnb owner groups. Um, and, like, that's one of my favorite sort of, like, anecdotal, uh, you know, temperature-taking things to do. Um, and there are a lot of people that have leveraged themselves very heavily to buy multiple properties, you know, obviously mortgaged against, leveraged against their existing properties. They just, they do like the, you know, the old school, you know, multifamily slumlord sort of leverage model. Um, but that is a very real thing in my opinion that's going on right now is that you're getting all these leverage, you know, all this leverage within the Airbnb kind of network effect uh framework business model whatever you want to call it um where everyone thinks they're going to be the next fucking <laughs> real estate mogul um <laughs> by renting out airbnbs uh at any cost because again like these people are buying blind at these current interest rates uh god bless them um and it's it's very different from the gfc because obviously it's not the banks that are levered it's the actual weirdly it's the the consumer side that is really holding the cards um but again just go on to like the airbnb owners groups um everyone thinks like the next warren buffett um (laughs) they have no idea what a cap rate is if you ask them it'll it'll open your eyes to a lot of things um but that's that's the big thing and and what something that just just very recently came onto my radar because i did not think this was a problem until very recently um but if you go to, I can't remember the website, but there's a, a few different resources out there. But there's, there's uh, um, the homes under construction in the U.S. right now um, is higher than the GFC, even when you adjust for a population, like a per capita population increase. We have more homes under construction right now than during the GFC, even with the population per capita, like the per, per capita population increase. That to me is completely insane. It tells me that there's a lot of like leverage and speculation out there. It's just not, it's not, you know, 
it's just it's not the same thing as the GFC. Obviously, it's like the banking sector is going to collapse, but there is a lot of leverage out there. Like just again, I'll I'll find that and put it in the nest. G- give me a minute. Cool. One one thing I'll caution you with on that national statistic on homes and productions: be careful. Sometimes that I don't know which figure you're citing, but the most commonly cited number actually includes lot production, which are not actually an actual production home. So there there are what. Sometimes what they include in that statistic is the potential for a production home. So that, that could be a developed piece of property, but they're not actually entitled um, to actual home builders yet. Um, so that, that's one thing to be careful with that. I'm, I'm right um, there with you, but no, this is, this is under construction by a builder. Like it's, it's, it's permits, uh, permits versus uh, under construction versus a third category. I, I can't remember, but I'm going to put it in the nest and like, Two okay. seconds. Cool. Check it out when I get it up. Thanks, Ben. Well, uh, Leo said he's on a bike, so he's, he actually just uh, accidentally hit the uh, request to speak. I'm not really sure how you do that, uh, Leo, but I love you, buddy. Um, good job. <laughs> it must be really intense for a bike, you know, a bike workout that you're on right now. Um, or maybe you're on a motorcycle. That'd be even cooler, actually, in, in, in Michigan. Uh, but pretty sure you're working out. Uh, Palmer, what else, uh, what, what's on, on your page? Um, I mean, how happy were you when, when Keith added uranium, uh, to the ETF pro, uh, list last week? That's always a, <laughs> that's always a little gift to my heart. <laughs> I know how much you love you. I, yeah, I know it, how much you love you. All right. And then he went, then it, he went even further. It is then interesting. Went further and he added NLR today too. Uh, so he, wow, oh, man, I missed that. He's, he's, that's the utility. Yeah, he's, he's, man. he's doubling up on the uranium uh, ETFs. <laughs> well, it was interesting. I, there was some news yesterday that was, was it, you know, just goes to just something I've been saying for the longest time. But um, Norway, you know, they, they've had this stupid, oh, we're going to be, you know, zero emissions by 2040. And they're like, well, shit, that ain't working. So they decided that if we're really going to, you know, meet these zero emission goals that they're just going to go full bore into nuclear. So, you know, it's just a matter of time for, you know, some of these people to, to, you know, figure it out. But what I found most interesting, I didn't know this had happened and I don't even know how you play it, that uh, China actually put the first ever thorium reactor into production. I think it was this month or last. Uh, I read uh, Jacob, Jacob Shapiro. He's a geopolitical analyst. He's got a great free Saturday morning note called uh, Global Sit Rep, and he mentioned it in there. I think it was last week, uh, but you know that that the, the thorium side of the uranium thesis that that's a problem for uranium because if that ever gets rolling, I mean it it'll it'll definitely change things. And for those that don't understand the difference, thorium is a, is a unique uh, reactor design that uh, they use. Uh, molten salt to keep them cool and the risk of a meltdown is basically none um they're super clean and and really the kind of the future of nuclear i didn't realize it, it was that far advanced though but it was kind of interesting to see that china was doing that hi robert mcgordy here director of subscriber development at hedgeye join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for deep dive investing analysis our favorite stock ideas and our risk manager in chief keith mccullough's macro overlay our team of 40 plus equity analysts discuss key market developments trends, and our high-conviction, long-and-short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. 
go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. And tune in live to the call weekdays at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that, but that's cool. Thorium is definitely the future. I did uh, share the, uh, the the data point for the uh, homes on construction. Uh, awesome. That website also, you know, again, you can go in there. They, it's Mortgage News Daily. Uh, they can break it out by permits. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, permits under construction. And again, a third thing I can't remember. Um, it does it by region, everything else. And again, population adjusted under construction were over the GFC right now, which I just didn't realize until recently, which made me feel really dumb. Um, but it's, in my opinion, definitely worth paying attention to. Interesting. Cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. First time caller. You're really putting out a lot of value there, buddy. Appreciate it. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> I love I, it. Full, full disclaimer. I work on cars for a living still. Um, I'm just a dumb guy, but I'm, I, I love – I mean, I, I've never not been fascinated with capital markets since 2012, so here I am. That's awesome, man. No, congrats. That's good. I've, I've tried to work on a car before. It made me feel pretty fucking dumb, so I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> car? I, yeah. <laughs> I feel pretty – yes, agreed. One of my, one of my our good friends in, in our town, he was – I was driving by his house the other day, and he had his wheels off. He was putting on new brakes, and I – Stopped the car and I said, "Mike, I'm impressed." Uh, so, I mean, I'm I'm pretty handy, but I don't know if I can, I don't think I could put on new brakes on the car. Um, I certainly, I don't think my wife would trust them, trust trust those driving the car afterwards. <laughs> uh, yeah, in my opinion, it always leaves safety critical systems to professionals. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Uh, yeah. All right. So, one thing we haven't really talked about is on the commodities. I mean, we, commodities, I, I mean I, that was kind of my segue in the URA there, but. Palmer, he didn't really pick up the ball and run run with it, so that's okay. Uh, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll keep rolling. I think uh, on the commodity side of things, uh, the ag space, I think, has been kind of interesting. Uh, Jay Van Skyver talked about uh, or alluded to kind of the droughts and the impact and, and sort of how those really don't necessarily impact kind of agriculture on a longer-term basis or certainly the kind of supply-demand situation. So perhaps it is just – a uh, sort of head fake or counter trend move, but um, certainly, you know, in terms of weekend work, I mean, if you pull up the chart of corn or soybeans, uh, you can just see the move that they've had uh, in the last, uh, not only the last month, but sort of month and a half ish, basically from their, their lows. They went from basically uh, the craziest part is like corn in particular went from a high in the last three months of, uh, of, of, of 677 down to low of, of 554 and now we're right or and then back up to kind of a high of uh you know 670 as of uh june wednesday june tw- uh, 21st but uh that signal i mean basically you know they've given a lot of that back in, in terms of corn and the corn space in terms of the futures right so zc is what i was looking at there uh but you know dba uh definitely is kind of picking up some some decent sort of trade duration on at least on 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 my screen that I'm seeing here. Uh, so just want to kind of call that out uh, for the group. Um, copper uh, did put in a higher low and a higher high as of this morning. Uh, interestingly enough, that higher high uh, where it's at three spot nine five. Um, so that would be 
a one month uh, one month closing high because uh, that high was uh, same thing that last um, last June June twenty first. Uh, that high was at three spot nine one three five. So uh, just keep an eye on that. I think again, I'm not uh, the bigger component there, and that that that's been bearish trend for quite some time. Uh, the low is three spot seven zero. So again, that that would not be a uh, so that would be a, a the top end and low end would basically be a higher low there in terms of where we're coming from most recently. Uh, so that one month low is down at um, <clears throat> on copper down around that three spot six three seven. Uh, so again, just kind of uh, keep keep track of that and um, not saying it's anything in particular, but just sort of from uh, uh, um, just the commodity space in general is sort of, you know, even oil, uh, Keith called it out this morning in terms of putting in a big higher low there on, on oil down at 67 spot one four. Uh, so is it something that we should be kind of thinking about, uh, you know, as we, as Pokey, you were asking about the quad outlook and, you know, how things are potentially, um, looking down the road, could we get sort of a bit of a quad three dynamic, uh, rather than quad four in Q4, um, you know, let's, let's kind of like see how things play out. We're certainly still got a quad three on the board in Q1. Um, so we'll, yeah. hey, Robert, yeah. I, I wasn't, I thought I haven't had a chance to look, but I thought oil was in contango out in, in the third quarter. Is that, do you know, is that still accurate? Oil? Yeah. Uh, in Q3? Yeah. Well, we got a quad one on the board in Q3, so that commodities yeah no no what i'm saying though is 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 what i'm saying is if oil is in contango it's 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 forecasting not exactly a good environment for oil so i i mean just something to keep on you know in mind just as you're thinking about you know the plot outlook and everything yeah yeah no exactly yeah but you can't also deny like the higher low most recently and and even as keith said on, on the macro show i mean could this be just a a you know kind of a, a very near-term uh, component to where, and then we'll get, you know, price action to the downside. Um, not sure, but uh, it's just, I think it's just worth calling out where, you know, a lot of these commodity complex and, and even from an inflation side, uh, I mean, we're, we're still forecasting basically uh, inflation out to, um, you know, I think it was like three in the, in the threes, right? So we got a four, four, uh, 415 basis point, uh, year-over-year CPI projection for the U.S. in Q2, and that going down to basically, you know, uh, the low threes, three spot three one in, in Q1 and 24, uh, which is like a, a slight ramp higher from Q4 estimates of three spot two oh, so 320 base points. Um, so yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, the, the my point of bringing that up, uh, Palmer, is just uh, I, I think just keeping a, a, a keen watch on the commodity complex. Commodities still absolutely uh, underperform in quad four environments. Uh, I think the signals so far has been really, really, uh, really, really, really good, uh, especially on the oil side of things. Um, you know, it's it just, yeah, yeah, just today was really the first day where we saw kind of that higher low. And, and that was off of the back of kind of, you know, three or four uh, down moves, right. And over the last week. Um, so I think it's just like an interesting component there. Uh, but nothing really changing. You're right in terms of uh, the, the trend, and even on a trade, still you know, still very much bearish trade and trend. Uh, just something to be kind of cognizant about. Uh, good stuff. All right, well, that's kind of all I want to say on the commodity side. Oh, Natty Gas, Natty Gas, it looks like a beauty. 
Uh, that's going back to bullish trend. Uh, just FYI, I know that's a squirrel. Uh, I like to call her like I like to call Natty Gas the uh, Medusa because uh, it's like dancing with uh, a beauty that can also turn you to stone. Um, so, yeah, um, well, real men, real real men and women trade boil. Yeah, oh yeah, baby. Uh, Natty <laughs> Gas. Um, I, I I've I've stopped messing with boil. I just do, but I I I, I do play. I do like uh, UNG call options right now uh, yeah go ahead ben oh so uh <laughs> sorry i'm just a, okay. an asshole generalist um in my opinion oil will be the trade um because as every oil well uh goes down in productive volume it outputs more natural gas um that's just <laughs> that's just the name of the game. Like that's just how yeah. this stuff yeah. works. Yeah. So, and like, that's, I mean, we have so much stranded natural gas just in the USA, let alone everywhere else in the world. Um, but just in the U S we have so much stranded natural gas assets that they just, they just flare off for <laughs> to the tune of, you know, millions of BTUs. Um, it's like, do you want to bet on, um, the byproduct, it's it's like like silver. It, it, it's it, in yeah. the way I kind of kind of separate. It, it's like gold versus silver. Um, you know, gold. We have a finite, you know, kind of finite known amount of it. Um, and then like silver is a byproduct of a lot of other stuff. It's you know, I'm I'm from born raised in Nevada. It's you know, we're the silver state. Um, yeah, you are. So you know, this was you know, the the whole kind of genesis of that is that. Uh, there was all this blue shit coming out of the ground. Everyone's like, oh, we don't want that. We, we want the gold. And all of a sudden, everyone realized it was actually something that was worth something, and they, it was basically a free resource at that point, so they mined it, um, which was very short-lived because, again, it's, it's a waste byproduct. Same thing with natural gas. Natural gas is the silver to the oil that is gold. Um, and as, as time goes on, especially in the Permian, especially in the Permian, um, Wells will just get gassier and gassier, and oil will become the gold, and so or and uh, natural gas will become more and more the silver. Especially because it's such a stranded asset, it's very difficult to pipe out uh, to to build the infrastructure for it. Um, and like in three to four months, when you know Europe is inevitably going through another. Um, climate crisis <laughs> um, that could be a great time to like play Dutch or like a Dutch arbitrage um, but for now like I, I still think oil is the play because it's just structural under investment yada, yada, yada. you should know that you guys know this kind of stuff um, but that's that's just my take on it because again like natural gas like it's like we're flaring it off as fast as we can in so many different fields like it's just it's not worth anything um, you know, cause again, it's, it's this, there's so much of it compared to oil. Yeah. I, I see Tim's out there. I don't know. Tim, Tim works in the, in the space. I don't know if he, yeah, he's able to, to jump on or whatnot, but, um, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, I hear you, Ben. All I know is that the signals is bullish, uh, trend on, on the page. And, uh, but with that said, the, the, the downside is to two spot two six. And that would be, you know, the trend trend line that we got last week was around, uh, you know, two two uh, two spot six one, 
Uh, so we're currently above that. The top in the risk range is is only at two. You know, there's only yeah, you know, two two spot nine seven. So you've got about seventeen cents to the, to, to the upside, um, and what about about fifty five ish to the to the downside. So um, so yeah, so fifty four, I guess it is. Um, so, so yeah, so, so yeah, go ahead, Bummer. So buy oh. some coal. Huh? <laughs> I say go buy some coal then. Uh, maybe I don't know. Uh, but right, I mean I'm. <laughs> I'm just uh it's been a good trade. Uh, 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 I guess. Anyway, Tim's up. Timbo. Hey Robert, I gotta run. Thanks for having us. Uh, cheers, late, Palmer. Man. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, buddy. Take care, brother. Uh Timbo, how you doing, bud? I'm good, Robert. How you doing? I'm great, man. Never, whenever folks, whenever folks talk oil and, and natty gas, I think about Tim Tim Bozeman. I appreciate that, man. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I we're actually at the beach on vacation. Just uh, oh, nice, the first buddy. part of the conversation, I just caught the last couple of, couple of seconds. What's the? Oh no, just uh, I was just commenting how Natty Gas is a uh, uh, bullish trend, and and our my, our new friend Ben, he uh, was commenting how you know basically oil is more so the longer trade with with Nat Nat Gas, uh, so much of Nat Natural Gas being flared off, and just like that's a, a byproduct of of really trying to find oil. And you've commented uh, similarly. Uh, about such uh, on on here before, but just wanted to kind of get your sure. get your get your take. You know, everybody calls Nat Gas a squirrel, and it's because you know it's to Ben's point, it is hard to store natural gas uh, the same way it's easy to store oil. Um, but that being said, you know everything's going to whip around here for for a long, long time, and. You know, there's a lot of opposing forces. If we get Chenier back online and we get our LNG export capacity up, could that be bullish for Natty? Yeah, that could be bullish. If we keep getting crazy hot summers, is that bullish for Natty? Yeah. Can Are there a half a dozen operators in the Haynesville that can go frack a bunch of wells and turn on, you know, a BCF a day in about three weeks? Yeah, <laughs> that's also true. Um, so there's, there's a lot of opposing forces there. And, and so I'm not really playing in the natty space because there's such short term supply demand, you know, chop in that. I, I just haven't played in it. Um, yeah, the, fair enough. The, the, the oil space is a little bit clearer to me. His comment on the Permian is, is true. You know, it looks like the Permian guys are running out of inventory. Um, but you got to remember the shale oil is light oil. And what we really need a lot of to make diesel and heavy things is heavy oil. So that that trend remains un, unbroken. Um, if you really wanted to, to run out there next time oil gets close to breaking trend and, and short a bunch of, um, you know, shit coes who are running an inventory, that'd be a great idea. Um, the, the one thing I've got my eye on is the services side, which those poor boys can't catch a break. Um, services are pretty much fungible. All the frack pumps can move around the country wherever the work is. All the wireline trucks can move around the country wherever the, the work is. And uh, what we've seen is you know, people are laying down frack crews. People are laying down drilling rigs um, in response to the current oil price and the current natty gas price. You know, there's a lot of people that have drilled wells that aren't completing them on the natural gas side, waiting for that price to come up, uh, and that's going to provide a lid on pricing at some point uh, in the near term. You know, that that could all change in six months. Um, so I, I've been playing, you know, shorten stuff like KLX, uh, shorten stuff like OIH is a, is is the index sticker for the oil field services. Uh, when it pops to the top of the range, just go whack it on the head and ride it down and cover it. 
it's been it's been a great little uh, recycle trade. And there you got it, folks. As simple as that. <laughs> Dude, you guys want a trend follow um, or a, a trend trade? Look at Halliburton. Uh, I, I refer to this as Halle Berry because I have all these pet names for these these tickers I know really well. <laughs> uh, but HAL, um, look at Halliburton. Every single time it dips under 30, look what happens to it. That is, If, if that's not a trend, then I, I'm, I don't know what a trend is. <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to play in that space, it's it's like most really highly operationally leveraged businesses, you know, that are highly indebted, and it takes a lot of capex to continue their operations. You just go and look at look for the ones that are, that are the uh, worst off on operating leverage, and uh, when prices you know break trend, go go grab them. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you jumping on, Tim, especially while you're on on some vacation. Uh, you said you're down at the beach. Yeah, yeah, we're on the three-week RV extravaganza. We made it all the way up from Fort Worth to Niagara, and right now we're on the beach in South Carolina, and we're going to go to the U.S. Space and Rocket Center and then back home. Nice, man. Well, I'll keep enjoying that that fun ride. I'm sure you're having a great time with the family, so I appreciate you jumping on. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Robert. Yeah, buddy. Uh, We've been pushing an hour and a half here, guys, so I think we may just uh, wrap up. That was a great, great insight, Tim. Uh, I'm kind of... Natty Gas and Oil uh, Complex, you too, Ben. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks for, you know, first time first time caller. Um, long time listener, first time caller. Appreciate it, Ben. You, you did a great job up here tonight. So uh, to all those, if you didn't get a chance to uh, hear me say this at the beginning, uh, there will be no, no notebook review next week. I'm on a little bit of holiday with the boys going on a golf trip up to Wisconsin playing Sand Valley. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, but we'll be back at it uh, the following week. Uh, so again, thanks uh, thanks for everybody for tuning in. Uh, we got uh, macro themes here on uh, Q3 macro themes uh, from the macro team and Keith on Thursday. So tune into that, my head dry side of things. And then if you didn't get a chance to uh, listen to um, Mike Green and Keith this morning, uh, that was a phenomenal webcast. And they made the announcement that we are uh, partnering with uh, Tier 1 Alpha. Uh, so uh, head dry's made an investment into, into that business. So we'll have uh, some more options data and option and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, kind of going to finalize the product, all that kind of thing. But um, uh, look forward to working more closely with Tier 1 Alpha. But uh, with that, everybody, have a great evening and uh, good luck trading out the rest of this week. Um, all the best. Talk soon. Don't forget to check out HedgeEye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at HedgeEye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by HedgeEye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable is not responsible for errors and accuracies or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.